If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 15. I love the beginning of the year for a number of reasons. Um, You know, it feels like there's like a reset uh, for for many of us after the holidays and there's the turn of the year and there's kind of a, a fresh motivation to implement some new habits. Um, establish some goals and and try again to do the best you can in the year. Did anybody write out some goals or identify some goals that that you and your family have for you this year and some things that you really want to see happen in your life this year? Yeah. Um, you know, last year we we I, I cast vision for for our church to. Grow as healthy followers of Jesus who are energized by love, energized by grace and motivated by love and who help others to become healthy disciples. So we talked about, uh, we did a series on habits of grace and we did a, a sermon series through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and we really tried to look at what does it look like to establish habits of grace in our lives and be healthy followers, followers of Jesus, whose lives reflect that we really know Him and that we are really walking with Him in a deep, intimate, genuine kind of way. And so we talked about that last year. That's, that's been a big emphasis. Our vision here at City Church is to know Jesus, to love people and impact your world. And how many of y'all know that knowing Jesus has powerful effects on our lives when we truly come to know Him? How many of y'all have experienced that? When Jesus came into your life, you accepted Christ into your life, some things changed. Things changed about how you see the world, how you see your relationships, how you see your work, how you see yourself. Things change when you really come to know Jesus. And so today I thought it would be fitting for us to focus in on a, a, a great passage that Jesus shares with his disciples before he goes to the cross, as he's sharing this last meal with him. There's with them. There's this discourse, and he's sharing from from John chapter thirteen to John chapter seventeen. It's all around the same time and the same setting, and, and, and Jesus uh, shares with them some really powerful words, and he describes what life would look like. For them if they stay connected in an intimate, genuine relationship with Him. Okay? And let me ask you, what, what do you think it would look like for you this year to be fruitful? To walk with Jesus in such a way that just good fruit comes from your life. Good fruit. What do you think it would look like in your marriage this year to have good fruit just coming forth from your life? What do you think it would look like in your, um, in your workplace to have good fruit coming from your life? What do you think it would look like, parents, in your parenting to have good fruit coming from your life so that, so that your children can enjoy that good fruit, so that those who know you and are closest to you can enjoy the good fruit coming from your life. Christians, saints, God has destined you to be fruitful. 
God has called you and designed you and destined you to be a fruitful person in life. To bear fruit for the glory of God's name. And by God's grace, City Church, we are going to move towards being a people who are fruitful this, this year. Amen? And so Jesus tells us what that looks like. Jesus tells us how to have a fruitful life in John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown out like a branch and withers. And branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here's our big idea this morning. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the source of life. And so our intimate connection to him and with him is vital to bear any good fruit in our lives. He is the source of life. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, we see that this theme is weaved throughout the entire book of the Gospel of John, starting in in chapter 1, that in Him was life. In Jesus is life. And Jesus has seven I Am statements within the Gospel of John. He says some very profound statements about Himself that got the Jewish people, the Jewish religious leaders, angry because they knew what he was implying with his words. He said stuff like this, I'm the bread of life, right? Moses, you got, you got manna from heaven with Moses, but, but I'm the true bread. I'm the the bread of life. Okay. He said, I am the light of the world. He said, I am the gate or the door to the, to the sheep. He said, I am the good shepherd. I shepherd my people. I care for them. And no one can snatch them out of my hand because I care for them. I fight for them. I lay down my life for the sheep so that I can secure their salvation, their rescue. As the good shepherd. Jesus said, I am the resurrection of and the life, right? 
He told his friend Martha this. Right? Right before he raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. She's like, she's like, oh, I know he's going to rise again, Jesus. I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection. And Jesus looked her in the eyes and said, I am the resurrection and the life. You're looking at the resurrection and the life right here. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I'm just a way. I'm, I'm a way, one among many. He said, I'm the way. What a profound statement. It sounds like arrogance. And it would be if Jesus is not God to say something like that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also said here in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. One of the things that's neat to look to look at in the Gospel of John is that they're also, according in, 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 in connection with some of these I am statements that Jesus makes about himself, he does miracles to point to the reality that he is that very thing he claimed to be. Like the resurrection and the life. And then he told Lazarus to get up out of the grave and he got up after being dead for four days. A miracle, right? He came up out of the grave. Jesus proved he's the resurrection and the life. Not to mention his own resurrection from the dead on the third day, as he said he would be. Jesus said he's the light of the world. You know what he did in John chapter 8 or or 9? He healed a blind man who couldn't see. It was all darkness until, boom, Jesus breaks in and opens his blind eyes. I was reading... Uh, in Mark's gospel, this this account, my, my my kids just think it's interesting that Jesus spit, got some mud, and spit, and put it put it on his on on his eyes. It's kind of funny. Um, and then and then Jesus um, and, and there's there's a couple of other ones as well. But we see this in the Gospel of John how it points those miracles point to who Jesus says he is. And here in verse 15, he's described as the true vine. Now, in the Old Testament, in places like uh, Isaiah chapter 5 and and, uh, Psalm chapter 80, uh, it speaks about Israel being the vine, all right, or a vineyard or or the vine. And even Israel's um, national symbol uh, is, you know, there's a menorah and then there's a a vine around it that's connected uh, to that. So this idea of Israel being a vine. But, But one of the things that Israel failed to do so often, and we see Israel getting in trouble and, 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 and turning their backs on God and going into idolatry. And what, what they failed to do throughout history was they failed to bear fruit in many ways. They failed to bear fruit. And Jesus comes on a scene and he says, I'm the true vine. I'm the true vine. Right? And he says, you're the branches. I'm the vine. You're the branches. We've got a couple different characters here. Jesus as the true vine. We got the father here described as the vine dresser, the one who cares for the branches and tends to them so that they're fruitful. Uh, We have fruitless branches and we have fruitful branches. Okay. Uh, Verse uh, uh, two there or one and two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Okay. And then later on, we see in verse six that. Those are, are, are thrown into the fire. Those branches are thrown into the fire. Then we got the fruitful branches. Those 
whom the Father prunes so that they might bear more fruit. And Jesus told his disciples, you are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. All right. This points to the salvation that Jesus Christ has brought into the lives of the disciples. But there was still one amongst the twelve. There was one amongst the twelve who wasn't clean. Because just a couple chapters back in chapter 13, when Jesus was implementing uh, the communion, that one of his disciples, Judas, was not clean. And he had been walking in community with Jesus and his disciples for three years. And Jesus, the Bible says in, in John chapter 6, that Jesus knew from the beginning those who believed in him and who it was that would betray him. And it says that Judas was somebody who was taking money out of the money bag. He, he was the treasurer. He was in charge of the money and, taking, and keeping watch over that. But he was stealing. But he was still amongst the community. And so what I think that this points to, the, those, these branches that don't bear fruit, points to somebody like a Judas. Those who don't bear fruit, those who are in the community, who are walking together, uh, you might call them false Christians who have an appearance of being in the vine, but have a superficial connection. And one reason I believe this is because verse 6 stating that those branches that don't remain are cast out and they're thrown into the fire. Now, this is not what happens to Christians, to true Christians. Our destiny is not the fire. Jesus delivers us from eternal judgment. He delivers us from the fire. And He delivers us from sin, having dominion and control over our lives and sets us free. So some interpreters would make an argument that these are true Christians who fell away and lost their salvation. But other places in John, we see that the true believer or disciples are secure in the grip of his grace. They have eternal life and none can snatch them out of his hands. Amen? And so here's my first point this morning. True disciples have a genuine relationship with Jesus. True disciples have a genuine relationship with Jesus. There are a lot of people who go to church, who know about God, who have religion. And I, and I was brought up in the Catholic Roman Catholic Church. My, my mom brought me to church. And growing up as a child, I had, I had religion. And I went through the motions and I said the prayers and I and I once you know I started taking communion after I went through the communion class. But I didn't have a vital relationship with Jesus that changed my life until December 12, 1998, until I consciously trusted in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Look at how Jesus describes this genuine relationship that his disciples have with, with, with uh, him. He says, abide in me. Abide in me. 
Stay connected. Remain in me. In John 15, 7, he says, if you, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So here we have uh, the words of Jesus. Okay, Any relationship needs communication. And it goes both ways, right? Talking and listening. Husbands, when you come home from work and your wife asks, how, how was your day? We need to say more than just good, right? And wives say amen. Yeah. Give me more than just good. It was a good, good or bad. Good or bad. Like, tell me more. Like, give, give her a little bit more of how your day was. Communicate what's going on. Every relationship to thrive, every relationship needs communication. And God is a real person who speaks and he communicates. He listens and he's created us for communion with him from the very beginning. We need that. And he calls us into that and he addresses the problem that severs our relationship with God. That that creates a barrier between us and God. Namely sin. But we have a responsibility as his followers to abide in his words. This is a part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Somebody, a, a disciplined learner, a student, somebody who's listening to his words and applying them to their lives. And somebody who talks to God in response. He reveals himself to us. And then we pour out our hearts to him in prayer. We bring our petitions, our requests to him in prayer. And this is a promise here for our prayer lives. If, if you need a, 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 a renewal in your prayer life, camp out in John 15, 7 for a while. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Either this is true or it's not, saints. And either we believe it or we don't. And so notice in verse 5 that Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now ask yourself, do I really believe this? Do I really believe that apart from Jesus, I can do nothing? Are are we living functionally as if we believe that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing, right? Because if we really do believe this, we're going to pray, we're going to trust Him, we're going to depend on Him. And and an example that I I think is helpful to to imagine here is, is a power strip. We all got these power strips, right, that we use for our computers. And you can load that thing up, plug every one of your plugs into that power strip, But unless that power strip is plugged in to the source of electricity and that little button is on, is on, right? And if the bright light is is on with it, then you're not going to get power coming out of that strip, right? Right? And Jesus is the source of power and life and every good and perfect gift. He's the source. Right? We find our life in Him. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so apart from Him, we can do nothing. I need to, I need to have regular reminders of this verse right here. 
apart from me, you can do nothing. Because sometimes I forget it. And sometimes I think, well, I can make some stuff happen. <laughs> I know how to do this. I've done it before. Come on, I got this. Maybe I don't pray about it. And then I start getting frustrated. I'm like, man, what's going on here? Trying to do this in my own strength. I'm trying to live without God's help. I'm trying to, to lean on my own understanding rather than to seek His wisdom and His guidance through His Word and ask for His grace and His power through prayer. Apart from Christ, you can do nothing of eternal value and produce no good fruit that will remain. So what does it mean to abide? I, I, I imagine that most of us don't use the word abide day to day. We don't say, hey, abide with me, friend. Let's go have some lunch and abide together, right? Uh, some other translations say remain or stay connected. The Greek word is meno. Uh, and it's, it's used 118 times in the New Testament. It, it's translated in... Uh, depending on which context where it's used, uh, to, to stay, to dwell, to lodge, to sojourn, to remain, to rest, to settle, to last, endure, to survive, to be existent, to continue unchanged, to be permanent, to persevere, to be constant, to be steadfast. And here in John 15, it's the, the Greek word is translated to abide, and it means to, to, to be in close and settled union. In close and settled union. Okay? Abiding in Jesus means authentically and intimately being connected with Jesus through his word and prayer and through the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, I'm the vine. All right, I'm the source. You're the branches. You got to stay connected to me. And as a branch is connected to the vine, there's sap that flows out of the vine into the branches. And when that's happening, and when that just, just continues to happen, what happens? Fruit. See, we see some blossoming happen. Gosh, we want to see that this year in our lives, don't we? Don't we want to blossom and bloom? where we're planted in the Lord and where God has us in this season of life. This is the key for us to stay connected. Now, I've never seen a, an apple tree or a pear tree straining to, to produce fruit. Ugh! Right? The branch is just staying connected to the vine. All right? There's nutrients that comes to it. There's sap that flows through it. And those of us who are Christians have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. I mean, let that sink in for a moment. Jesus talks about this in John 14 and John 16, the surrounding passages of this, this uh, chapter. He says that I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit who's going to dwell in you. He's going to teach you. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. The Bible tells us that when we're following Him and He lives in us and we're following Him, that the fruit of that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, good fruit. Abiding in Jesus means that we're depending on Him to sustain us and bring forth fruit through our lives. Abiding in Jesus means that we allow His words to shape and influence our lives in such a way that it strengthens our faith and moves us to obedience to His commands. 
Abiding in Jesus means that we consider Christ to be the source of life, the bread of life, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life. Who alone has the words of eternal life so that when, so that we will remain with him when all others leave the community of faith. You see, this happened in John chapter 6. The crowds were starting to, to follow Jesus. It was kind of the trendy thing to do. Hey, let's go hear this, this preacher. He's doing miracles and stuff. And hey, you get a free meal too. He's feeding people as well. Come, let's go check him out. And all the crowds were accumulating. Like, hey, bring your sick friend, man. He'll get healed and get a free meal, right? And so the crowds were coming because they wanted to hear. They wanted to see. They wanted to be entertained. And they were kind of, you know, loosely disciples in a sense. Right? But there were many of them that weren't true disciples. They were fans, but not followers. Not genuine followers of Jesus. And so what happened, what happened when he started to say some hard things and things that some of the crowds didn't understand, things that didn't really sit well with them, like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And that sounds like cannibalism. Right? I mean, they're like... Man, we're out of here. This dude's crazy. That's not cool to follow somebody who says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, there's no life in you. We're not going to follow that dude, right? And so the crowd started to thin out. If he was here uh, today and he had Twitter and TikTok and, uh, and uh, Facebook and Instagram, like we would see like unfollowing, unfollowing, unfollowing in John chapter 6. Everyone just starts unfollowing. His account goes down to 12, right? He had like thousands, right? And then 12. Hey, where's this 5,000? Come on, you know? 11, yeah, 11, yeah, really, 11. Jesus' account was not legit. Um, so it goes down to 11, right? Um, and, 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 so, and then he would say difficult things, right? He would say difficult things. And he said that if you're going to follow him, there's going to be some big challenges. Actually, if you keep reading in John chapter 15, he said, hey, the world's going to hate you. Just like the world hates me, don't expect for life to just go really smooth for you because you're following me. All right? I'm not just here to bring some self-improvement and just kind of make you a happier person. I come to take over and be Lord of your life. And that's going to clash. When Jesus is King and Lord of your life and my life, that's going to clash with the kingdoms of this world. That's going to clash with our own little kingdoms of comfort and self-idolatry that we set up. It's going to clash. Either Jesus is Lord of our lives or He's not. Right, And so he calls his followers to abide in him because our relationship with him is going to be tested by fire when it's not as popular to follow Jesus. When you live in a country, in a location where it's not popular, it's not cool to take a stand for the truth that Jesus claimed to be. For the way that Jesus taught, not a way, not one of my money, but the way that Jesus claimed for life and salvation. So what does it mean to abide? We need to know this. We need, we need to practice this. This needs to be our life in Christ, knowing Jesus intimately and accurately. This, it, he's describing it here. Andreas Kotzenberger says to abide. Abide means to continue in daily personal relationship with Jesus, characterized by trust, prayer, obedience, and joy. 11 verse 11, he said, I've said these things to you so that your joy might be full. I, I think it's important to kind of balance that out, the, the, the fact that following Jesus involves a lot of difficulty and challenges and hardships, persecutions, right? It's a narrow and a difficult path that leads to life, but it's not a joyless one. 
We should be the most joyful people in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of the most difficult things, walking through cancer, walking through ridicule and false accusation. We should be the most joyful people on the face of the planet because our names are written in heaven, because we truly know God, because our sins are forgiven. We have salvation secured for us in Jesus. We should have a joy of salvation. We have the good news of great joy that has broken, that has come into our lives and shaped our lives and changed the way we think and changed the way we live. Another theologian, Merrill Tenney, says that to remain in Christ and to, is to allow his words to remain in oneself. And to allow his words to remain in oneself means a conscious acceptance, a conscious acceptance of the authority of his word and constant contact with him by prayer. When was the last time you consciously approached the Lord with the, thinking you're like you're in charge of me, like you're you're master, you're Lord. Like I'm not here for my will, and my agenda. You're Lord. And maybe maybe in response to that, you bow. When's the last time you bowed just humbly and got before God, and just realized, man, I need you, God. I'm nothing without you. You're sovereign. You have authority over my life. And you're good. You're loving. You have good plans for me. Andrew Murray in his little book, Abiding Abiding Christ, says, On my part, abiding is nothing but the acceptance of my position, the consent to be kept there, and the surrender of faith to the strong vine, Except surrender of faith to the strong vine still to hold the feeble branch. I love this. The surrender of faith to the strong vine still to hold the feeble branch. He's the one who sustains us. He's the one who sources us with life and, and causes fruit to come forth from our lives. And the storms of this life will reveal those who aren't genuinely connected to Christ. Uh, this last freeze we had last month in Texas, we have these crazy, uh, in 24 hours, the weather that just comes in and just totally just changes everything, right? And you're planting, you all of a sudden you're like covering up pipes and stuff so you don't get pipes busted in your house. And, and so the wind's blowing, you know, with this storm. And we have branches just falling off the trees, right? It's time to clean up after that. Right from all the wind and, and all the leaves fall off the tree, right? And it, and it reveals the storm revealed some of those branches that were dead. They were they were on the tree, but there was no life and no fruit and no no firm connection to the trunk to the to the uh, to the vine. And so, true disciples, as Jesus said in John chapter fifteen verse eight, true disciples bear much fruit. We're destined for this, saints. He said, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. God created us for his glory, for his honor, to reflect his glory in the earth as image bearers. He's created us for this. And as we're connected in relationship with Him and we walk with Him, we begin to look more and more like Him. He rubs, on, he rubs off on us, so to speak. Right? His character, His ways rub off on us and influence us and shape us. And we bear fruit 
for the glory of his name and prove to be his disciples. So what does that fruit look like? What does much fruit look like? There's a, there's a couple of things that I would point to in the scripture that this fruit looks like. First of all, character. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit that the Bible talks about. Right? And even within this, this section of Scripture, John chapter 15, Jesus said, um, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. First John he, he takes it a little bit deeper and fleshes out a little bit more, unpacking these concepts. And he says, whoever's born of God, whoever's born of God loves their brother. They practice righteousness. They, keep, they don't keep on practicing sin and let sin have its way in their lives. They practice righteousness and they love people. They believe in Jesus. And then there's conduct. The Bible talks about good fruit of the, the fruit of our deeds, doing good works, which we're not saved by. The conduct and the good deeds that we have in our lives are the effects of the good news changing our life and God making us right with Him. And then the Bible talks about fruit as disciples, of converts, of people coming to faith through us living out our faith around them and sharing our faith with them and people being won over to the way of Jesus through our testimony. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Gosh, I want to lead some people to Jesus this year. I don't want to be fruitless in this way. I want to bear fruit and make disciples and point people to Jesus. In our conversation, the Bible talks about the fruit of our lips, the things that we say. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What does your heart overflow with? What's the theme of your heart that comes out in your language? Whatever we love and we value, we talk about it. We're excited about it. It just flows out of us. What is that stream for you that's coming out? Is it good? Is it, is it truth? Is it wisdom? And then another one here we see within this context, some, some fruit, is effective prayer. Jesus said, if you abide in me, my words abide in you, you can ask whatever you desire, it will be given to you. So as we're walking with him, our prayer life is going to have some effects. Things are going to be different. Prayers are going to be answered. And, and as a response, God's going to be glorified through those prayers, Jesus said in John 14. And we're going to have joy. He's going to give us joy in answering those requests. But too many people treat God like a vending machine, and it's very transactional. And they, they just approach God when they need something or want something. They ask Him for something isolated from a personal, intimate, genuine relationship with God. And they just kind of, you know, I'll do this if you'll do this for me. Put in a dollar fifty. Let me have some M&M's, peanuts, please. Right? And God hasn't created us to walk in a relationship with Him like that. He's called us to have an intimate personal, genuine relationship. Now, what I think when Jesus talks about true disciples bearing much fruit, I think what Jesus has in mind here is the first one, the character, the fruit of the Spirit. 
His image, His character being reflected in His life. And even in verse 9, He says, He talks about abiding in the Father's love. Abide as I have um, as have abided in the Father's love. As the Father has loved me, so I, I love you. Abide in my love. As I have abided in the Father's love. Right? And so this is what we want this year. To live fruitful lives. And I think that as we live in this way, we reflect Jesus through the, the character, through the fruit of the Spirit. That's going to affect our speech. That's going to affect the, the, the activity, the things that we do. It's going to affect um, other people coming to know Jesus. And it's going to affect our prayer life. I heard a story about two brothers, mischievous brothers who like to sneak out at night and they use the tree on the second floor of next to the room. They use the branches on the tree to get out and sneak out and go, you know, do mischievous stuff like wrap toilet paper houses and stuff, right? And and they overheard their parents talking about chopping down that tree because it hasn't bore any fruit for a while. And so they just had an idea. They, they thought, well, if they chop down the tree, we won't be able to sneak out and do those things that we've been doing. So they thought, well, we'll, we'll go to the store. We'll get some, uh, some some pears and get some yarn. and We'll wrap them on, you know, the branches. And, and maybe mom and dad won't chop down the tree. We'll keep the tree. We'll still have our little, you know, our little thing, you know, sneaking out at night, getting into trouble. And uh, so they did it. And, and their parents, the next day, they thought they were going to pull one over on mom and dad. And the next day, the, the dad looks out and sees a bunch of pears and he says to his wife, honey, why, why does our apple tree have a bunch of pears on it? And of course, they were exposed, right? And this story just highlights the reality that much fruit and good fruit isn't just attaching busyness and activity to our lives, or it's not a transplant of someone else's fruit. It's, it's, a, it's, it, it's, it, it's an overflow of an intimate relationship with Jesus, the source of life, where we're genuinely connected to him. And from that connection, the sap, the life flows in, in us and then through us out into bearing much fruit. The faith, uh, tr- here, listen to this quote from F.F. F. Bruce. He says that the faith that leads to union with Christ is faith that manifests itself in true discipleship. A discipleship of obedience, love, and joy. This is true discipleship. And so, what is the key to fruitfulness? We see it here. Abiding in Jesus, through His Word, through prayer, and the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Abide in Christ is a source of life. Abide in Christ so that you will bear much fruit. Abide in Christ so that your prayers Your prayer life will be effective. Abide in Christ and in His love. So that's one. But then there's another one. One that maybe we don't like as much. Key to fruitfulness is being pruned by the vine dresser. Right? This is necessary. To cut back. Cut off those dead branches and those parts that aren't bearing any fruit. For the sake of fruitfulness. Now this hurts, right? This doesn't feel good. And the Father's intention in doing this in the lives of His people is good. This implies pain. 
This implies suffering, maybe discouragement, being discouraged at times. Maybe some of you right now just feel like God has just chopped off a whole bunch of limbs in your life, in His providence, and in His gracious care for your life. We can trust that our Father's intentions are good. We can trust that when He's locked off things in our lives, and it hurts and it's painful, we don't understand it. We look at it, it's like, what's happened to me? It's like winter. It's like I'm just in a season of winter. Why am I going through this? Know that spring is coming. Know that God, as you walk with God and trust Him and you just continue to trust Him and you trust you trust His heart when you cannot see His hand. You're going through pain in life. You're going through discouragement. Trust that the pruning of the Father, of the vine dresser, is designed to bear more fruit in our lives. And, and in the end, our joy is going to be increased through that. And we, can, and we can rejoice even in the suffering. Even in the sorrow, we can have joy. And lastly, what happens to the branches that don't abide in Jesus? I think this is a, a warning that Jesus gives to the Judas-like people in the community. Who are among the community, among the church... But when the storms come and when the sufferings come, they abandon the faith and go the path of deconversion. And they start doubting and questioning and challenging all the things, the foundational things about the Christian faith. First John tells us, First John 2, 19, he said that those who, uh, they, they went out from among us because they were not of us. For had they been of us, they would have continued with us. This is what true disciples do. They continue with Jesus. They persevere till the very end, trusting Jesus just like they did when they first came to Jesus. They continue to trust Him, and they're leaning on Him, and He graciously sustains them. He does the heavy lifting of bearing the fruit in their lives. The pressure of bearing fruit, saints, is not on us, ultimately. Like, we're, we're to follow Jesus. He says, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. Abide in me, and you will bear much fruit. He causes it to come forth as we stay connected to Him. So I have in my backyard, in my fire pit, a bunch of branches. Okay, branches aren't, aren't good for much. Dead branches, that is, right? They're good for, for kindling a fire, Right? And this speaks of divine judgment. And if you're here today and you're not connected to Jesus in an intimate, genuine way, know that He doesn't want this for you. He doesn't want your life to wither away and die and be apart from Him for all eternity in a terrible place. He came into this world and died in your place. To deliver you and I from eternal suffering. So that we might have eternal life. And so if you're just playing religion, or maybe you're just far from God, it's time to turn back to Him. Respond to His 
voice to come. To come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. Quit striving. Quit trying to do life without me. I'm the source, Jesus tells us. He's the source. And so let's return to Him. Let us abide in Him. You may have guilt, shame. You may have fears, doubts. You may have offenses with God. Thinking, why did you let this happen? Why did you let this happen to me? I want to encourage you to look to the cross with all that. Because Jesus stepped into the brokenness of this world and He experienced the pain of sinful human beings doing wrong to Him, murdering Him, so that He would deliver us from eternal suffering. So let me close with a couple points of application. First, recognize your great need for Jesus. For Him to bring bring you life and recognize your inability to produce fruit without Him. This is humbling and we all need this sobering, humbling reminder, this check. And then resolve in 2023, resolve to daily feed on His Word, on His life-giving words recorded in Scripture. His words are recorded in this book for us to feast upon. This is a gift to us. It's revelation of God. We can listen to Him. Receive life through a real relationship with Him. Him communicating to us through this Word. And then lastly, devote yourself to prayer, to pouring out your heart to God, bringing to Him your request, <coughs> your, your, your complaints. You know, you can pour out your complaint to the Lord. The psalmist did it. Pour out my complaint to the Lord. I mean, he already knows it's there if you have complaints. And if they're directed towards him, he can handle you talking to him about those things. Pour out your heart to him. Come to Jesus. Abide in Jesus. Stay with Jesus. He will sustain you. He will fulfill his purpose for you. He has redeemed you and made you his very own. So as the team leads us in a song, just want to invite you to trust Jesus in this moment.